0: The title this morning, Never Lose Heart as You Serve the Lord. Never Lose Heart as You Serve the Lord. And the text is Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Get your Bible out. Always have a Bible. Let the one who is taught the word... Share all his good things with the teacher. Boy, there's a great verse, eh? Seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. Let's just pray. It just feels good, Lord, to be gathering with growing numbers and feeding our hearts on your word. It feels like it's right. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will keep working in our hearts, keep working in our church. Bless your word to our hearts. We all, we all need your word more than we think we need your word. And none of us knows your word as well as we think we know your word. And so we're very dependent on you as we bow before you in this moment. Come and teach us to treasure what we learn. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's not the topic, but just by way of introduction, turn your mind back with me for a minute. Because not... All that long ago, as far as cultural history is concerned, a mainly uh, liberal majority in the House voted against the definition of marriage decreed in divine revelation by Jesus himself, God the Son, as an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. (sighs) Think about that just for a minute, or maybe rethink it, because it's a while back. Because that change is, I think, losing mental impact, even in much of the evangelical church. I think we've long lost that sense that here's one more evidence that the Titanic has hit the iceberg. I mean, the music is still playing. The people on deck are still singing. Nothing seems that different, really, in most of our daily lives, but way down in the belly of the ship. Way down in the belly of the ship, a great big hole has been torn. One more hole has been torn and water's pouring in. Now, back to our text. In verse 8, Paul tells us that the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. Now, of course, Paul's talking about all sinners and all kinds of sin. I get it, not just sexual sinners. When he lists these... Works of the flesh that we were looking at. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, or used to be. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry. That relates to that devotional, by the way. If only I, whatever you put at the end of that sentence, that's what you worship. Sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about those things as I warned you before. So this isn't the first time Paul uses this this kind of language. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not everybody gets in So in some way, you look at a list like that, in some way and in different areas, we are all born with sinful desires, sinful tendencies, and sinful orientations that will always have to be restrained and denied and perhaps repented of. Heterosexual people will naturally become immoral if they follow every inclination that ever enters their heads. People will become liars unless someone teaches them that it's wrong and they restrain themselves from lying. Small children will naturally become selfish. You put two kids in the sandbox with one toy truck and just let the fall unfold. Everyone will naturally lose their temper unless they learn to deny those tendencies and forsake them. One of the key principles is this. It is a dangerous thing for we sinful human beings to pick a temptation, any temptation, and define an identity by it. In a sense... People are now only beginning to state what Christianity has been arguing all along. People are born sinners. That's why they sin. They sin because they're born sinners. Think about this, please. People don't become sinners because they sin. People sin because they're born sinners. And that has a lot to do with how you're going to solve this problem, how you understand those two things. If the problem is just, A, people become sinners when they sin, then all you have to do is restrain their behavior. But if people commit sin because they're born sinners, now you've got to change nature. (laughs) You need Jesus. It's a huge issue. People sin in a million different ways with a million different inclinations because they're born that way. Yes, I have no problem agreeing with that. It's what all sinners do. Apart from the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, what all sinners do, what I do, what you do, what all sinners do is we tend to normalize sinful behavior. You do it, I do it, heterosexual people do it, homosexual people do it. All sinners are born rationalizing this, which is why Paul in every list that he gives in the New Testament, he closes with words like, like these. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Say those words with me right there. Do not be deceived. The tendency is to say, no, 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 this can't be true. Right? When, whenever the text says, And it happens over and over again. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Blah, 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 blah. When it says don't be deceived, it means there's a natural way of of looking at things, and I'm begging you, don't fall into that trap. There's a common cultural perspective on things. Don't be deceived by that. You're going to get something different from God's word all the time. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Notice how Paul closes that list. These people, quote, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now, I want to come back to our passage for this week's study, and I want to consider specifically Paul's call to the church not to get tired of doing good, 6-9. Because because what causes Christians to lose heart, in addition to our own sins and failures and weaknesses, what causes people to lose heart is precisely this world's constant drive to make things happen Compatible with the kingdom of God, that the Bible says are always incompatible with the kingdom of God. These people won't inherit the kingdom. These things are incompatible with God's kingdom. And there's a second factor. There's a second factor that wears on our hearts as we try to do good. And this is what I want to focus on this morning. This whole passage in Galatians 6, it's all bound up with the metaphor of sowing and reaping. What a person sows, he will reap. Sow to the flesh, get corruption. Sow to the spirit, get life. Sowing, reaping, sowing, reaping. That's the theme. And we all know that in that imagery, there's this time lapse, right? Always. Time lapse between sowing and reaping. And, and, And the passing of time... If what Paul says is true, this this passing of time between sowing and reaping, it's about the worst enemy to sustained godliness that there is. We need need to think about this, Paul says. This is especially true. This is especially true. When the passing of time appears to be time passed with divine inactivity. God doesn't seem to be doing anything. We need to keep this plea not to lose heart. We need to keep it in the context of the passage. So so Paul summons the church, this church. His summons not to lose heart. It follows right on the heals of this plea to keep them sowing to the Spirit and not sowing to the flesh. Look at it in 7 and 8. It's as clear as a bell. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whenever a person sows, whatever a person sows, he will reap. The one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we know this for sure. There are two ways, two ways to be deceived. And they're both very deadly. First, you can be deceived about sin and sowing to the flesh. You, you can think that because your life doesn't fall apart, Every time you do something you know God doesn't want you to do, because your life doesn't fall apart, that maybe it's not as sinful as everybody thinks, and maybe you don't have to worry about it. Or you can, you can just gradually be deceived by thinking that because, because the surrounding culture... commonly accept sinful practices, that God will no longer view those things as sinful either. And you have to ask that question. Is God still allowed to be morally offended by things that no longer offend us? Is God still allowed to be morally offended by things that no longer offend us? And because of this time delay between sowing and reaping, sowing to the flesh is what we're talking about here, you gradually, you gradually come to think that maybe we're immune to moral compromises. Paul says this is deadly because you're being very short-sighted. You, you are thinking, you are thinking your way down a path to your own destruction, but you just don't see it yet. So that's, that's the first problem: sowing to the flesh, particularly in culturally accepted sins. It's very easy, because God doesn't strike us all dead, to think that this, this, you know, maybe he changed his mind. Maybe we've been reading this wrong all the time. Very common thinking. There's another way that we can be deceived. You can be deceived about the power of righteousness, the incredible power that there is, in sowing even small seeds consistently to the Spirit. This is the positive side. You've done gardening. You put a little seed into the ground. And you know how long it is. It, for a long stretch of time, it doesn't look like anything's happening. Same with sowing to the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. No one got saved at your Bible study. Nobody. You invited someone to Alpha. They said they'd come and they didn't even show up. Your devotions, you read through Second Chronicles this morning. You haven't got a clue what the writer's even talking about. You keep praying for your son, your daughter, that they're going to come to Jesus, and nothing good seems to be happening. They're more influenced by their friends than they are by spiritual things, and you're worried that maybe they're running out of time. Little by little, bit by bit, a faith that started out singing gradually starts to lose its song. You've been putting, you've been putting those little seeds into the soil of the Spirit, and they're not going anywhere. Because of these two ongoing battles, the press of this world to justify and normalize sin, and God doesn't seem to be judging anything, so we can think it isn't that bad. Or the time lapse, the inevitable time lapse between sowing and reaping, People can lose heart while they sow to the Spirit. And Paul is saying there are seasons when your, your zeal in your Christian walk is not going to be self-sustaining. There's times when you feel like you're, you know, you're just pedaling the bike and it's always uphill. It's harder to smile. And, and you, feel, you feel lonely believing your Bible still means what it says because every other Christian you're talking to is reading books saying, no, 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 Paul didn't mean that anyway. Anyway. It's lonely. You feel everything is untethered to anything except public opinion and the latest protest. Where do you go for truth? What are the steps to take? What can you do in times like these? How, how do we obey this command not to lose heart while serving the Lord. That's what I want to consider. Here are some brief points as we uh, get into the last half here. So don't panic. Point number one. Especially when you feel no natural inclination or interest, keep yourself immersed in the corporate, corporate, Study of God's Word. I get that in six six. Let the one who has taught the Word share all his good things with the teacher. It'd be very easy to see nothing more in those words than a summons for churches to pay their pastors. But there's a lot more here than that. If, if, if we would not lose heart, okay, if we would not lose heart in our walk with the Lord... We need to put a premium on the corporate learning of the scriptures. Paul is not talking here about your private devotions. What you read in the morning, what book you're studying, what you listen to for praise and worship courses in your car. Paul's not talking about that. What you watch on YouTube or live stream, he's not talking about that either. He's not talking about private study. They certainly wouldn't have to pay a teacher for that. That's why Paul specifically mentions a teacher. He's talking about their gathering together under the word. Pretty soon we'll be barbecuing. Some of you are purists and you still go with the coals and heating up the coals. and You know how it works. Those embers... You push them together, they glow. You spread them apart, and they cool. Everybody getting it? Church. Church. Virtual church can't do that. Can't do that. You will lose heart. To the extent that you try to follow Jesus without the corporate gathering around the Scriptures. This verse is describing the essential ministry of the church. Spiritual life cools in isolated devotion. And notice, please, Paul's emphasis on the teaching of the Scriptures. Church like ours does a lot of things, a lot of good things. Dozens of ministries. We're still looking for people to, to, so we can start things up. We don't The problem isn't the schedule anymore. We need workers for everything. children's ministries, Christian education. We need people before we can start launching these things. They're all good. they're all important. Specialized ministries, varying interests, varying ages but the essential thing that this church does or any church worthy of its salt is we teach the scriptures to everyone, to all different ages. We're not giving them our opinions about anything. We teach the scriptures. When any other ministry, any other valid ministry becomes the reason for gathering friends, music, worship, Spiritual fervor will only be sustained for a limited time if the teaching of the Scriptures isn't kept central. Trends burn brightly, but they also burn quickly. Point number two. When you don't see your heart staying bright, shun what you know is sinful And just keep doing the little things you know God would have you do. I know that sounds simple. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction, guaranteed. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Those are highly potent words. Both destruction and eternal life are bound up in the repetition of small acts sown. When you're thinking of sowing to the Spirit, when you don't get answers, when you don't get answers, focus on character. When you don't get answers, focus on obedience. Your life takes shape while you're doing little things, sow your thoughts and actions, small as they may appear, in the garden of the Holy Spirit. Remind yourself of this truth, especially when you find yourself beginning to lose heart, because you, when you start to lose heart, the first thing that happens is this. The devil sows into your mind this despairing question. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? When you're discouraged, the devil wants you to question the value of sowing to the Spirit, forgetting the time between sowing and reaping. And he does this by playing out all the points where what you're hoping for isn't happening. And if your hopes and prayers aren't seeming to make any difference, what good has your commitment been to sowing to the Spirit? That's the downward spiral into losing heart. That's the lie the lie in those thoughts is that God's purpose and your dreams are always the same thing or that God will accomplish them both at exactly the same time. Whatever you, Here's the principle. Whatever you have to deny and leave behind, however fulfilling and legitimate it seems to you, Whatever you have to deny and leave behind is never as worthy of your allegiance as God's kingdom. What you are called to leave behind is never as precious as what lies ahead when you reap from sowing to the Spirit. What you have to deny is never as precious as what lies ahead if you'll sow to the Spirit. It feels precious now, but that's only because you haven't started reaping yet. Faith has to believe that in a thousand daily desires, inclinations, decisions, pleasures, whatever you have to leave behind to sow to the Spirit. It's never worth what you will reap. Paul says the goal is eternal life. See that in verse 8? The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. That's the goal. That's what you reap. God has his own way of perfecting our faith. Read Hebrews 11. Read it through when you get home today. Read about some of those people given houses and flocks and wealth. Read the other group of people, sawn in two. All of them reap eternal life as they follow Jesus. Three point three. If your life feels fruitless and weary, look for opportunities to do good to others, especially other Christians, 9 and 10. Let us not, there it is, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at, at the proper time. By the way, this is God's decision. I have my idea of the proper time right now. That's like, that's like going out in the garden with your seeds for tomatoes, putting them in the ground, and then standing in the garden and say, well, where's the tomatoes? Proper time. If we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, therefore means this is related to that, getting tired, keeping going. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. That's work. For the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. What wisdom there is here. I mean, the surest way to lose heart in your Christian life, hear it, the surest way to get tired and weary in your Christian life is to think of only yourself. How am I doing? How am I feeling? How happy am I? How are my prayers being answered? How much am I growing? How, me, 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 me. The surest way to renewed passion is to serve others. See, when Tara stands up here and says, we can't open all the nursery yet because we need more people to come and help. You think she's asking you to do something for her. What you don't understand is she's asking you to do something for you. When Jonathan stands up here and says, we're looking for people for this, or Chris stands up here and says, we're looking for things for that, you think they're asking you so that they can fill the holes and they can plug the gaps. You're doing them a favor. Or maybe Jesus a favor. Let's, let's say you're a lot more spiritual. You don't think of serving Chris. You think, well, I'm going to step in there and take one on the chin for Jesus. And what you don't realize is, no, you're doing it for you. You're doing it so you don't go get tired and weary. Isn't that so different? Think about how different that is. Pastor Don, I can't do that. I'm, I have no time. Good night. I, I don't get home till 8 o'clock at night. It is I, I work down in the city. I take the train. I haven't got time to be in all sorts of ministries at the church. I'll, I'll get weary if I start doing things at the church. Paul says, you got it all wrong. You're going you're to get weary if you don't. You're going to get weary if you don't. Serving others. This isn't works theology, where one is saved by doing good for others. That's not what he's talking about. But it is recognizing that as a child of God, my deepest needs can't be met if I focus on myself. Because eternal life comes from sowing to the Spirit. Jesus describes the momentum and direction of the Holy Spirit, right here. John 7, 37 to 39. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out. What did that sound like? Do you ever picture Jesus doing that? Or do you think of, anytime I watched old movies that have Jesus in them, for one thing, wherever he stands, there's this glow. It's kind of a a yellow thing around his face? He's almost always sort of white, which he wasn't. And then when he speaks, it's like you hear choir of angels harmonizing in the background. Listen, Peter, the master speaks. "Ah." Do you get this picture? Jesus standing up. It's busy. It's noisy. There's a crowd. And it says he cried. He screamed. I won't do it because it drives the sound guys nuts. If anyone is thirsty, that's what Jesus did. Let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams, streams of living water from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in him were going to receive the spirit, for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice, flows, flows out. Notice how Paul says we're to look for opportunities to do good. Why? Well, that's how, you sow to, that's how you sow to the Spirit. It's not just mental, trying to think pleasant thoughts about God. Look for opportunities to fill your life with hope. So small deeds in the garden of the Holy Spirit. See more than the deed itself. Don't think we're always good at doing that. I know I'm not. I think sometimes all we see is the deed and not the seed. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not good at that. I'm too busy to do this. We just see the deed and not what could be a seed. It, it's so easy to grow accustomed to doing religious things, the ones we do, that we can we can almost leave the future work of the Holy Spirit in growing something in those things. Beyond what we can imagine right now. It's hard to believe, isn't it, when you go down the road and you see some gigantic oak tree that fills a whole yard with shade, that at one time, God or somebody else stuck a little acorn, a little seed in the ground and it was all in there but you wouldn't see it then sowing to the spirit is like that find way of serving find way of doing something and the result is going to be bigger than you're looking at right now that's what he's saying you'll reap you'll reap Let me give just one example from our text to make my point. Look again at Paul's words in 6 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Make sure, Paul says, here he's talking about our wealth. Make sure that you use your wealth to increase the ministry of the word, in the church and around the world. Use your resources, not just for yourself. Use them for the kingdom. Make that a habit. See it as so... It's not the kind of sowing that used to the televangelists do. You know, you give God 10 bucks, you're going to get a 1,000 back. That's just garbage. But, but use your wealth. You can sow it, and in the kingdom of God, it multiplies far beyond anything you could imagine. Don't live for little things with your money. Live for big things with your money. So there's more riding on that online bank payment to the church. With that little white tithing envelope if you're old school. There's more to it than paying bills. However you do it. When you go online, see of your community church, dot, 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 dot. You can do it in a couple seconds. Do you see that as, okay, there. Or do Jesus in your name want to sow into the spirit? It makes all the difference in the world. Not the dollars, but the heart it makes all the difference in the world. So keep your joy. Keep your joy. There's two things. Okay, I'm going to recap everything. I know what you're thinking. If you can do it two minutes now, why did you take all that time? Don't make the mistake of thinking, it doesn't matter if I sow the flesh because the culture accepts it and God doesn't seem to be judging anything anyway. It can't be that serious. You're going to reap. It's down the road. There's destruction. So don't get careless. That's that one. It's for all of us. Don't get careless. Every voice around you is going to tell you that your views are intolerant and archaic. What's that going to do to you? See, you need to think about that. Over here, so do the Spirit. Find little ways of serving, and they're not as insignificant as you think they are because the Holy Spirit is going to grow something in them beyond your present capacity to see right now. And if you can avoid this, and you can keep doing this, You're not going to grow weary as you follow Jesus. Let's pray. Help us not to lose the wonder, the preciousness of having absolute truth in your word. We don't get absolute truth anywhere. Science changes, medical opinions change, politics change. And then there's your word. Your word is true. It's, it's We want to build our lives on a rock and not on the sand. And so take these truths this morning, beyond my very limited capacity to share them. Take these truths and, and kind of stick them in our hearts in a way that, that lasts after the service is dismissed. I pray for people who are growing weary, tired. Jesus, come and, and lift them up. Not just psychologically. Lift them up around the truth of your word that they can bank on. We love you. love you. You're the ancient of days and unchanging. Everyone said Amen.